0: You are listening to the I Am In podcast produced by the Boise-Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me. They have all responded. I am in. Brother and Sister Macaulay met at BYU in Provo, Utah. They married and moved to Eagle, Idaho, where they've raised an impressive family, grown a thriving business, and have served in various capacities in the Church of Jesus Christ. They are a dynamic couple with numerous examples of Christlike discipleship. Together, they are the parents of seven children and 33
1: grandchildren.
0: Most people, probably, who come to speak to you can just speak off the top of their heads. That's probably what you're used to. But I have to write everything down and carefully craft it so that I can say it. So if I look down a lot, that's because that's how I give talks. So if you were going to um, prepare to compete in the Olympics, would you figure that you could sit in a recliner and drink lemonade neat eat Doritos? Um, or do you suppose that you were going to have to work really hard, that you were, there were going to be difficult times? Well, why is it that we feel like God has forgotten us or is making things too difficult when our goal is for all eternity that we want to live with God and be God's ourselves? This life was meant to be filled with trials and challenges so that we can become gods. There is a thought by C.S. Lewis, quote, You must realize from the outset that the goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection and no power in the whole universe except you yourselves can prevent him from taking you to that goal. Now reflect carefully on that statement. There is no power in the whole universe except you yourselves that can prevent him from taking you to that goal. Every trial and hardship we go through can defeat us or it can take us closer to perfection. The only one in all the universe who can rob us of perfection is ourselves. So choose carefully what you really want for all the eternity. If you decide that you want to decide what your life should look like, who you should marry, what career path you should choose, where you should live, then what you're saying is that you can see what you need more than your Heavenly Father who sees everything. Tad Calisterny's book, The Infinite Atonement, said, we may not control our temporal setback, but we always, always, always control our spiritual destiny. Every temporal tragedy may be countered with a spiritual victory, and the ultimate victory is Godhood. In the last analysis, through His grace, God has permitted us to divine to define our own divine destiny. So may I share with you my own temporal tragedy and the hope I have that I will counter with spiritual victory. On February seventh of this year, we walked into the University of Utah Medical Center to have a tumor in my brain removed. We expected to be driving home that weekend, none the worse, except a bald spot on my head where they had to shave off all my hair. Instead, I woke up from the surgery unable to move anything from my arms down. I spent the next six weeks learning to sit up, stand up, and was able, using every ounce of strength and grit and a walker, to walk 10 feet in five minutes before dropping into a wheelchair from exhaustion. In the first moments of discovering I was going to face this trial, I made a decision. I could feel angry and take it out on everybody else around me or I could accept this as a chance to grow closer to God, learn the lessons that he had for me to become better instead of bitter, and be pleasant as I possibly could be to those around me. The first thing we did was look at the miracles that brought us to that place. The type of tumor was a meningioma, usually non-cancerous and slow-growing. It could have been in my brain for over twelve, for over 10 years. I never had any symptoms except for a bump on my head that I thought was caused when I raised up on the kitchen cabinet. No headaches, no muscle weakness, nothing I could blame on anything except aging. During the past 12 years, we served a mission in Novosibirsk, Russia. You said it correctly. Um, It is in the heart of Siberia, and yes, 40 below zero is very cold, but it would get up to 90 degrees Fahrenheit in the summertime. We served in the Stockholm Sweden temple as counselor and assistant to the matron in the Kiev, Ukraine temple, and were released released two and a half years ago from serving for three and a half years as first president and matron of the Meridian Idaho temple. We planned on taking some time to recover and then build a new home when we got a very strong prompting that we needed to go on another mission. It was so strong that I could hear the words audibly in my head and I could see them visually. And the message was, you need to go on a mission now. And now was written in capital letters, bold, with an exclamation point behind it. So one month later, our papers were in. And three months later, we were on our way first to Nauvoo while while we waited for our Swedish visas. And that mission would take us on a dream mission back to the mission that he served as a young man. Last August, we returned from serving in the Swedish archives to um, discover that the bump on my head was something way more serious now if I had asked the doctor any time during those previous years about that bump on my head, I don't know which of those missions that we would have not been allowed to serve. And had we waited any longer than this last year, I don't know how serious this, this condition would have been and maybe I never would walk again. So how is this story applicable to you? I testify that our Father and our Savior will prepare us for and help us through any trial if we will let them. And if those trials do not come because we have chosen to disobey God's commandments, then they are always there to help us. We choose, and those kind of trials come when we disobey His commandments, those trials we bring on ourselves. The other kinds of trials that come are ones that we receive so that we can be refined through testing. Now, I'm not perfect, but there was such a sense of comfort knowing that this trial came from a loving Heavenly Father who wanted to polish and refine both Jim and I. And we're both trying hard to learn every lesson our Heavenly Father has for us and to come through more polished and refined than we could be any other way. As I was dealing with the emotional impact of having this tangerine-sized object in my brain, and just two hours before I received notice that I had some cancerous spots on my face that had to be removed, I stumbled across a talk given by Elder Scott in October 1995 called, Trust in the Lord. That was given 38 years ago. But I didn't really need it until September of 2020. I mean, 2022. And when I needed it, it was given to me. And as we are going through this trial, and even yesterday, more thoughts came from this talk to clear my understanding of this trial. So may I share a few statements from this talk, but I recommend that if you're going through trials in your life, that you carefully read the whole thing as it is a masterpiece on how to accept trials. Elder Scott, quote, When you pass through trials for His purposes, as you trust Him, exercise faith in Him, He will help you. That support will generally come step by step, a portion at a time. Your Father in Heaven and His beloved Son love you perfectly. They would not require you to experience a, more, a moment more difficulty than is absolutely needed for your personal benefit or for that of those you love. Your willingness to accept the will of the Father will not change what He in His wisdom has chosen to do. However, it will certainly change the effect those decisions have on you personally. That allows his decisions to produce far greater blessings in your life." Unquote. And so, my advice to you is to realize that the time to decide who you're going to follow with complete and faithful obedience is now. You will face trials. And you are battling a formidable foe who knows the time is getting short, and he is after your souls. As I was sorting through some files I've collected over the last 50 years, I came across a talk given by President Iring to seminary institute teachers. He said, the spiritual strength sufficient for our youth to stand firm just a few years ago will soon not be enough. Even the best of these youth will be sorely tested, and that testing will become more severe. What year did he give that talk? 2001. That was 22 years ago. Do you know anyone who's 38 to 42 years old? He was talking about those youth. And how many of that age group are leaving the church and rejecting the gospel? Do you think that the times have gotten better and that Satan is backing off. He is not. Do you sometimes feel that days drag by, but then suddenly it's Sunday again? The semester starts and then suddenly you're taking finals and you suddenly realize that years are flying by and then decades and too soon you will suddenly realize that you're no longer in your 20s or 30s or 50s. And you realize that those years of wondering who you were going to marry become years of wondering how you are going to exist the years of no sleep as you have tiny babies suddenly become years of little sleep because you have teenagers and suddenly your first child is leaving on a mission and then suddenly your last child is leaving on a mission and suddenly your first child is having a grandbaby. Then you see that always turning to the Lord in every trial, all those decisions of attending church every week, even on State Conference Sunday, having family home evening every week, daily scripture study, family prayers, attending the temple, wearing your garments correctly, and keeping every covenant with exactness has paid off. And you see the reward of your own children handling their own mortality well. And then if they make choices that turn them away from God, your heart will break. But you will know you did all you could to teach them. Eternity becomes real and close, and all those correct choices really, really, really matter. Do not fear As you look forward to your lives, I know you live in a world that has just gotten more and more scary. Elder Packer said, I've been in the councils of the church and seen many things. I have seen disappointment and shock and concern. Never once have I seen fear. Our youth can look forward with hope for a happy life. They shall marry and raise families in the church and teach their little ones what you have taught them. They, in turn, will teach their children and their grandchildren." And um, that's the end of his quote. I do not think you should fear to move forward with your lives, but I do think you should decide now, very firmly and definitely, that you will follow and trust the Savior. He will help you through any trial. He has promised I will not leave you comfortless. In the dark hours of those nights when I could not sleep in the hospital, when I didn't know when I would walk again, instead of counting sheep, I would just talk to Heavenly Father in some of the sweetest nights of my life. It did not matter that the only response I heard was, this was not going to be a quick recovery and part of the re- part of the trial is going to be to endure it. Well, I know that I'm not alone in this trial and I know you will not be either. I bear you this testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, my mom was the uh, Daughter of, actually, was the descendant of a family uh, who joined the church in Ireland and immigrated to the United States in the in the 18 late 1830s. They came to Nauvoo and knew the Prophet Joseph Smith. Her mother was from a Swedish family that were some of the very first Swedish um, converts to the church and immigrated to the United States in the 1860s and they immigrated to uh, Utah and settled in a little town in the southern, in about central Utah called Scipio. And nobody's ever heard of Scipio, have you? So anyway, from those two families, my grandma and grandpa uh, met and married and um, my that's about as active in the church as you can be except my grandpa uh, smoked cigarettes and drank a few beers here and there and really loved to play poker in the pool halls on Friday and Saturday night. And so my mom was baptized when she was eight years old and that was probably the last time she was in church. So she met and married my dad who was a cowboy his dad had died when he was about in the eighth grade, and so he had to leave school and go to work on a cattle ranch in northern Nevada. They lived in Buell, Idaho, if any of you know where that is. And so he went down from Buell, Idaho to work on a cattle ranch in northern Nevada, And so they, um, my mom and dad met and married and not the least bit interested in the church. My mom didn't know anything about the church, but they had a home teacher who kept coming to visit and mom said that they were barely polite to him. I mean, they'd let him come in the house and that was about it. But eventually, he started teaching about Jesus Christ, not from the Bible, but as a historical figure. He was a history teacher in, in, um, in high school. And so he taught about Jesus Christ as a figure in history. And that caught my mom's attention. She was a, she was a real student and just wanted to study anything and everything. So she got interested and eventually um, uh, got active in the church. And that, of course, uh, brought me along sort of kicking and screaming. My dad was not interested in the church. And he worked six days a week and Sunday was his play day. He did not want to go to church with mom because he wanted to go do anything else besides go to church. So I had to decide, do I go with mom or do I go with dad? And it was an interesting time in our home for quite a while. But um, when it came time, well, actually, I I sort of sort of participated in church. I went to seminary um, for five years in early morning seminary and um, so I got exposed to the gospel, but my most important uh, concept while I was in high school was not what the church meant for me, but what are we going to do Friday and Saturday night? <laughs> so that was, that was what I w- went to school for, and we were going to have fun on Friday and Saturday night. So it came time to go on a mission, and that was right during the Vietnam War years. And it was uh, very difficult to get missionaries out from the church. And um, my dad did not want me to go on a mission because uh, he didn't get to finish school. And he was absolutely adamant that I was going to finish college and get a college education. Then if I wanted to go on a mission, I'd be all right but my mom was absolutely adamant that I was going to go on a mission. Well, you you know who won. (laughs) I went on a mission. And not only did my dad not want me to go on a mission, um, my draft board did not want me to go on a mission. Uh, The head of the draft board in uh, Jerome was uh, an apostate member of the church and she thought that all the church did was protect the young men from going into the army by sending them on missions and so she was not going to give me a deferment to go on a mission so i got my mission call and was in the what was was called the mission home in salt lake we were there for three days prior to going on a mission and we did not have a language training mission i was going to sweden my language training was a sheet of paper like this that had a two-line um, um, blessing on the food, a um, a um, short door approach, and a very short prayer. And that was my language training. It was written in Swedish, and I didn't know how to pronounce it or anything, so, but that was a language training. So anyway, when we went... Um, Uh, I was in the mission home and was going to leave for Sweden on Monday morning at about 11 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, I was in President Hinckley's office with him on the telephone talking to my draft board. And she told him, if I left the United States without a permit to leave, that when I touched American soil again, she would have uh, uh, the draft or the uh, military police there and I would be constricted and put into the army immediately. So he told me, he says, you've got a choice. You can either go on your mission or you were called or we can send you someplace in the United States. And I think I can work with her a little bit. And um, I said, well, I think I was called to go to Sweden, so I might as well go to Sweden. About six months later, after I was there, I got a permit to leave the United States. <laughs> So that was, that was my uh, going on a mission. So I know that Satan didn't want me to go on a mission either. He was very uh, adamant about that. And I thought, why? And I, I discovered why. In my two and a half years as a missionary, um, I baptized three uh, women, none of which stayed active in the church. And I wondered... What kind of a mission was that? Was I successful? And then I thought back to um, there was a time when I served in the mission home and I got sick with the mumps. And for a 20-year-old young man, that's pretty serious uh, disease. It can cause a lot of very serious problems, one of which is sterility. And it was very serious. So I spent a week flat on my back in bed I was not supposed to get out of bed or even move very much. So I picked up the Book of Mormon and started to read. probably for the first time I read it uh, seriously with a very uh, sincere interest in it. And I read um, uh, Second Nephi, Chapters 27, 28, and 29. And that was uh, Nephi's prophecies of the latter days. And he talked about people that would say, a Bible, a Bible, I've got a Bible. We don't need any more Bible. I don't know how many times I heard that when I was in the homes of the Swedish people. We've got a Bible. We don't need another Bible. And it just it spoke to my heart and I knew that that was true. So the convert that I made in Sweden was me. I came home with a testimony of the Book of Mormon. So that was the first gospel principle to change my life and that is Read and pray about the scriptures. Now that sounds like a Sunday school answer to what we're supposed to do, isn't it? But it is absolutely true. If you do not have a testimony of the gospel, you need to read and pray about the scriptures with serious intent, and God will answer that, uh, that prayer. You cannot lean on the testimony of other people forever. If you do, you will not remain active in the church. There's too much opposition and too much enticement to leave if you do not have a firm testimony that grounds you solidly in the gospel. And the Book of Mormon is the place where it begins. So that's the first gospel principle that changed my life. So I said I lived in the mission home uh, while I was on my mission and I became very good friends with uh, the mission president. There were the mission president and his family lived in the middle of the mission home. The elders that worked there lived on this end of the mission home and the sisters that lived or that worked in there lived on this end of the mission home. That's an unusual set of circumstances. I don't know any place else in the world where that happened. But that's the way it was. But I got to be very good friends uh, with my mission president and his family. And I had two uh, companions that I worked with in the mission home for a year. And when I got back from from, uh, my mission in Sweden, I went to BYU and I roomed with those two companions. And they were very good personal friends. One of them was Paul Oscarson. His wife was Bonnie Oscarson. Does that name ring any bells with anybody? Yeah, she was just released, well, it's been a little while now, released as the general young women's president. Paul and Bonnie and Arlene and I double dated at BYU. We were just good personal friends. Well, my other roommate was uh, Russ. And Russ had a folk dance class with a, a young lady that he remembered. Um, His name was Fulmer and her name was Fielding. So when they went to to a class together, it was a folk dance class, and they stood right next to each other in line, so they became dance partners. And so he danced with her, and she tells a story about he was really kind of a dork because he'd do a lift in this folk dance and then he just dropped her. So she didn't have much use for him, but he remembered her evidently because he tried for a year and a half to line me up with her. And she was too busy. So that tells you about her. So after a year and a half, we finally uh, had a a blind date. And I walked up to the door to pick her up and this beautiful blonde opened the door and I looked at her and I said, Arlene? Arlene? And she said, "No." (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then this girl behind her was sitting there at the piano playing the piano, and she stood up and turned around and said, "I'm Arlene." And I said, "Goodbye, blonde. Hello, brunette." so that was that was my introduction to her and that came as a blind date well that was on the 1st of february and i was really pretty slow so it took me clear until may to get engaged we we got in we got um, we had our first date the 1st of february and then we were getting pretty serious and so we decided that we needed to find out if we were right for each other. We were talking marriage and we decided we need to know if this is, this is right or not. So we went up Provo Canyon on a beautiful spring day on the, the 5th of May. And it was like there was this park uh, up um, at Provo Canyon and you had to take a number off a tree to find a place to get in a quiet spot. <laughs> There, was, there were that many couples all over the park, everywhere. You couldn't find a spot you could get secluded. But we finally did. And so we prayed. And I didn't get any answer. I, I just felt peaceful. I just felt, hey, this, this feels good. So I turned to her and said, I, "I, I don't, I didn't feel anything, but I just feel at peace. So, should we get married?" was so <laughs> a romantic. great, great approach! <laughs> 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 and she said yes. And so then we were driving home out of the out of the canyon. <laughs> And I was happy and ready to call folks and everybody and she turns to me and says, you know, maybe we had not to tell anybody yet. (laughs) And so it was a little bit of a downer for me, but I guess the second gospel principle that I learned from this is that you have to learn how to know when you've had an answer to prayer. Because you don't often get a little post-it note that says go on a mission now with N-O-W capitalized and an exclamation mark behind it. That's pretty rare. And you don't often hear words in your head that say, yes, this is what you need to do. But often you just feel peace, just absolute peace. And that's how I felt. Eventually she got that too, but we were able to do that. So, so that was the second gospel principle that changed my life. Was I knew I was supposed to marry her because of the peace that I felt. So then um, I went to work for my mission president who had a business uh, selling containers. And uh, that's a long story that I won't go into now, but... Uh, um, I worked uh, there for uh, four years and hated every minute of it. It was just miserable because I was a salesman and I didn't want to be a salesman. I wanted to be a businessman and I, I was just a salesman. And so I tried to find someplace else to go to work and something else to do. And we, uh, fasted and we prayed and we tried to get an answer. We explored two or three other different opportunities, and one of which was to go to work for our bishop. And we had talked to him, and um, he said, Yeah, I'd love to have you come to work. Uh, you know, we were, seemed to be fairly reputable and somewhat honest, and so he was glad to have us come to work for him and so we decided well all right we need to go talk to our bishop as a bishop and get our a our leader's advice and we went into him in his office and sat down and and asked him and uh, he thought for a minute and he said you know as much as i would love to have you come to work for us I don't think that's right. I think you need to stay right where you are and make something of the business that you're in. That was not what we wanted to hear. I went out of there feeling really frustrated. And I was thinking, why'd we go talk to the bishop? And we talked and Arlene said, bless her heart, if, uh, If we ask for our bishop's advice, we ought to follow. So we did, and 49 years later, I retired from that business after having bought the business from my mission president and developed that business into something that has blessed our lives in more ways than I can imagine. So the third gospel principle is, when you ask God to show you the way to go, the answer oftentimes doesn't come directly to you. It comes from indirect sources like leaders, like from the scriptures, like from the whisperings of the spirit. And so my counsel is, or what I learned from that was, listen to what the spirit tells you and you have to search sometimes to think of what the spirit told you and then you have to have the courage to obey if you don't want if you don't want to obey then there's no sense getting an answer from the spirit okay very briefly there's one last thing that I would share with you You know, we look at all these things, at the the troubles that come into our lives. We look at what's happened with Arlene. Uh, We walked into the hospital, we walked into the hospital on the 7th of February and five and a half hours later, she was in a wheelchair, not able to move. In fact, she was on and stretched out on a bed and now here she is this much later in a wheelchair. We didn't plan on that. These are hard things. And I keep thinking of a line from a film strip that we showed probably 17,000 times in Sweden while I was on my mission. And it was from uh, the film Man's Search for Happiness. I don't know if any of you have seen that. That's an old film, but there was a line that I learned. And, i heard it so many times. The line I can quote in Swedish, Did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> Translation is, life was not meant to be an unbroken chain of easily purchased experiences. We came here to learn. And one of the places that I think we need to learn (coughs) excuse me, learn from is from the past and especially our personal past our family history Arlene has been digitizing her uh, mom's letters that she wrote every week for 40 years and she's been reading them in and digitizing them I'm not sure why and I'm not sure she is either but what she's learned from that is she has caught a glimpse into what it was like on the farm. She grew up on the farm, but she didn't know all of the things that that happened behind the scenes about how they nearly lost their farm. Almost every year, things would happen, and they'd, they'd go to the bank and get a loan, and then at the end of the season, uh, couldn't sell their crop or couldn't get the enough money out of it to pay off the loan, and then how did they farm the next year? And it was just a struggle every year to keep from losing everything they had. Well, my mom and dad did lose everything they had, twice. My dad and mom took a 320-acre farm out of the desert, under the Desert Entry Act, and at that time you you could just... Um, apply for the the land and, and improve it and live on it for a bit and it was yours. So they did that and they worked 30 years to improve and build up that farm. But all the water that we had for it was wastewater and that wa- that wastewater ditch came through uh, one of their good friends' properties. He put a dam in the ditch and took all the water and without water, that desert farm was worthless. So it was just nothing. They had built up a herd of 150 head of registered Black Angus cows with calves, and a government inspector came through, and, oh, uh, and uh, there was tuberculosis that was in cattle herds around the country, and Inspected inspected mom and dad's herd, and every one of them had tuberculosis and he condemned all of them and just took them, sent them off to be slaughtered so that they would lost everything they'd built up. They lost the farm, they lost a herd of cattle. So, those are hard things for both of our parents, but they remained strong and didn't waver. And from their efforts, I As I look back on that, I gain the faith that I can face hard things and do what they did. So, the fourth gospel principle, and the last one I'll leave with you, is learn from the experiences of others so you don't have to experience everything for yourself. You don't have to learn all the bad things that other people do and learn from. So learn from the experiences of others, especially from your own family history. Know what your grandparents did, what your great-grandparents did. Find out what are are their stories. You'll find fascinating things and you'll see that they have survived because of their faith in the gospel. Trust God and keep the faith. is the message I've learned from the Gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.